Hey, before we get going, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsor, eToro. Let's talk about trading. Maybe your MO is just stacking sats once a week, or you're one of those cowboy altcoin traders who go deep into technical analysis. I don't know. Maybe you're just a muggle and you're trying to get into this whole cyber cash thing. Maybe you actually do want to put some skin in the game, but you have no idea where to begin. Now there's one trading app for all of that. eToro. It's a trading platform and mobile app that lets you buy and sell cryptocurrency. And it's also the number one social trading platform in the world. Listeners, you might even be asking, what the hell is a social trading platform? Copy trading is a feature that lets you mirror the actions of top traders on the platform. This way, you can learn about due diligence and all the other technical things it might take months to pick up on your own just by copying the behavior of the top traders on the platform. So head over to eToro.com and get started on your portfolio today. eToro, smart crypto trading made easy. Hey guys, Dave Hollerith here. Welcome back to the Bitcoin Magazine podcast. Today I've got a special interview with Guy Swan. He's the podcaster and reader behind the Crypto Economy podcast. Now, the reason why I particularly like the Crypto Economy podcast is because Guy dedicates a lot of his show to picking out the best articles in Bitcoin and then recording them so that you, the listener, can hear them in audio format. Guy spends a ton of time trying to synthesize all of the information about Bitcoin that's out there and select the best articles written about the technology and the industry shaping behind it. Hands down, I can say he's the guy who's read more about Bitcoin than anyone else I know. We talk about his recording and curation process, how he sees the complexity in Bitcoin not being so much of a technological thing as much as a sociological thing. He talks about some of his favorite pieces, some of the ones that haven't really aged that well, and some of the patterns that emerge from what makes a really compelling Bitcoin read. I had a lot of fun with this interview and I hope you guys enjoy it. But real quick, I want to tell you about our sponsor, the Celsius Network. The TLDR version of it is the Celsius Network lets you earn interest on your crypto and instantly borrow against it. And there are no fees ever. There are more than 50,000 active wallets using their services. And right now they're offering users 10% annual interest on their crypto deposits. That's not only unheard of in the traditional banking industry, it's also a pretty good deal from a crypto company. And right now the Celsius Network is giving our listeners, you guys, $10 in BTC when you make a deposit of 200 or more dollars in crypto or stable coins by using the promo code BitcoinMag. Again, the promo code is BitcoinMag. Check out their website today. Now, here's my interview with Guy Swan. Well, hey, Guy. Glad to have you on. Yeah, man. Glad to be on. I don't know exactly when I stumbled upon the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, but I had been thinking for ages that there was nothing that needed a podcast more than Bitcoin Magazine in this space. And I was so excited that y'all are a good number of episodes in before I was like, wait, how did I miss this? But <laughs> yeah, I'm glad y'all finally started that. Yeah, yeah. We, we had some other podcasts before that that were... Uh... They're actually, they covered kind of like different areas. And the thing about doing the Bitcoin Magazine podcast, I think was that it takes like such a commitment to do it, you know, because it's, you know, we all love the magazine and we want to want to do it right. And I think this is for like a lot of companies that like want to try and do a podcast is like carving out the resources to actually do it because, you know, it just takes so much more time than people expect. Oh, yeah. 
it seems like, oh, it's just audio. You're just talking. And then you get into it and two days and nine hours of editing later, you're unhappy with it and you delete the whole thing and start <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they're not the same. I think podcasting takes more time than blogging, but it's kind of that same thing about how they've been like innovations for media on the internet. It's like, you know, people were always like, Oh no, like everybody just like start a blog, you know? And it's like, <laughs> it's what you make of it. So like it can still be a shitty blog or a good blog, you know, it's like <laughs> with that regard, I actually just kind of wanted to ask about your process a little bit. So the crypto economy podcast, I've listened to a lot for a while now. It's, it's interesting to me because it's different from a lot of the podcasts that are going on in our space, which are more like interview focused. You do do interviews, but mm -hmm. the thing that I like the most that I'd say it's the majority of your, your episodes are the quick reads. And, yeah. and that's where you, you will take some, some piece of Bitcoin writing or other writing you appreciate and you narrate it and put it into podcast format. I think that's incredible. <laughs> Well, uh, that's awesome to hear that you actually listen to the show that, that I appreciate it a lot. I mean, it's a dirt simple idea, you know, like yeah. read the best work that's out there on the show. It was mostly because for years I couldn't keep up with all the stuff. I'm a huge, huge connoisseur of podcasts and audiobooks. <laughs> Hilarious. This actually didn't really start until after I got out of school that I discovered reading was actually an awesome thing. Yeah, um, me too. <laughs> but uh, I've always been pretty much an avid reader, but now I have a really hard time just finding the time to sit down and read. Well, aside from the fact that I dedicate most of my time now to the- Yeah, you found a pretty good way. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There were like a couple of things. One was just that I wanted, I wanted to listen to all the articles. Like Nick would share an article, Pierre would share an article. Like, like I would just get this whole list of like, ooh, read later. And the list would just stack up a hundred times as fast as I could actually get through it. And I was like, man, I wish there's just an easy way to make audio for this. And I actually went hunting for like the robot audio things, the ones that would like dictate it to you. They're all garbage, maybe one day, but... <laughs> yeah, I've explored those. Yeah, it's it's not there yet. Yeah, yeah. Then one day, as I guess I've been thinking about it for like a couple of years even. And one day I was just like, why don't I do it? That's the easiest, like there's nothing stopping me from just doing it. And so I just did it. And here we are, like two years later, I guess. One of the other things is that like when, when I would try to read stuff, I would only read a little bit of it and I wouldn't realize that I would, I, that that's what I was doing. Like, like that whole attention span thing is like 15 seconds before you're off looking for something else, particularly if it's something on the internet. And you know, you read a paragraph and the, the title and then you find yourself like three days later in an argument thinking that you read this whole thing. And that you know what you're talking about. And then you stop. Like, like I stopped in the middle of typing something. I was like, I really don't know. I didn't read that full piece. And, and then I'm suddenly like, how did I not, you know, I went through all this stuff. How did I not read the full thing? So there was a, actually an element of selfishness in the whole thing is that I just wanted to force myself to sit down and read it in full, like really digest the piece and like know what the hell it was. I'm surprised that I've been able to keep it up as a daily thing. Um, I didn't know if I was going to be able to do that. And I've kind of gone back and forth. There were periods where it was only like two episodes a week or something. Mm -hmm. But I've managed to pick it back up and trying to commit to it full time and just go hard. So you make me think of so many things too about as far as like uh, our attention spans. I mean, mm -hmm. 
Like I can't read long form articles on the internet. I just can't do it. I'm like a huge paper book advocate. Environmentalists might be giving me shit for that. I actually made a pact, a blood pact <laughs> after college with a buddy of mine that we would never use a Kindle because we hated them so much. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's that's unfortunate too with the, because I think that's really common. I don't know what it is about reading on the internet or on something digital that it's just so easy to get distracted. Mm -hmm. um, and maybe it's just that there's always like a notification popping up. Like it's never just the read in front of you, I guess. I don't know. It, it could be something else, but whatever it is, I feel like that's a, the case for a lot of people. And that sucks, particularly in the Bitcoin space, because the best ideas are the ones where somebody has sat down and just written out and like really broke down the concept and tried to articulate it in, you know, a 15, 20 minute article. And I feel like of the thousand people that share it, 60 of them actually read it. Yeah, that's definitely a case. I mean, that that's even a case with podcasts like over Twitter, you know? Yeah. Yeah. That's also like my frustration with journalism too. It's so difficult to get a topic right yeah. before you have to, you know, like meet the media news cycle and just kind of pump it out. And, and you just miss so much too especially with an area that's so complicated <laughs> yeah there's there's an endless ocean of stuff to try to filter through and most people particularly with news things are title title so like yeah. and 98 percent of the time the title is utter nonsense if you actually read the article it's yeah. just true enough to get you to click on it and that they can essentially have some sort of walk back or plausible deniability when you read the article but it's almost always bullshit and unfortunately, most people seem to just run their worldview by titles on news articles. <laughs> like the way, the way we, the way we consume media is like, I mean, I don't know. It's, it's so funny. Like it, it's funny how, how, how much of sheep we all are when you like really think <laughs> about it, you know, yeah. like the internet's like one giant vessel to make it easier for us and, and like more difficult to actually, uh, like have the time and space to make the decision about whether or not something is actually like worthwhile, you know, mm -hmm. it's crazy. It makes me really excited about the, the birth of long form audio or the, I guess the growth of it. Oh yeah. I mean, it's still just crazy to me that Joe Rogan, the most popular podcast in the world is often two, three hours long and people listen to the whole thing. Um, there's something bizarre about being able to just continuously just consume tons and tons of audio. I mean, I do it all the time. If I am out doing anything and I am not talking to someone else, I'm usually listening to something. And I think that's a huge improvement because like part of the issue is just that it's, it's like trying to drink the ocean, you know, like there's just so much. The, the whole idea of consuming information is almost in, an infeasibility just on, on its face because there's more information being added every second than, you know, a lifetime's worth of consumption. It's such a fascinating thing to watch evolve and change. And I think the, the explosion that we've had in the last couple of years in podcasts and just kind of audio media in general, I think is really, really awesome. I, I love it personally my early days of, of learning about podcasting of like getting really interested in podcasts. I was working at this dive bar. I was actually a line cook. I would, uh, I would listen to podcasts as I cooked. Like it was in, it was ridiculous multitasking looking back on it, <laughs> but it kicked ass. I, I crushed so many books, flipping burgers. <laughs> That's my one problem with audible is you only get one credit a month.
have to specifically go hunt for like 30 and 40 hour books. <laughs> well, I don't know if you like finish all your books, but the one hack I would recommend is you can actually return books. Um, if you, if you haven't like gone very far and you don't like them, uh, and they'll give I you a credit back. That. Oh, I didn't think about that. Yeah, dude. Oh, that's um, a great idea. I'm going to utilize that. Cause there are definitely a handful that I've just kind of bought to experiment with. And then, yeah, not so much too many other things to read. Definitely going to utilize that. Have you ever read or listened to Neil Stevenson? Um, I have not listen to neil stevens stevenson but i have read snow crash uh, and wanted to get what's the new one called that just came out fall yeah fall fall yeah i wanted to get fall i haven't done it yet yeah i just got fall it's goddamn 23 hours and Whoa. i'm like three hours in actually or i'm sorry i have three hours left okay so okay. i've gone this far but for some reason dude i hate the story at this point and and i can't finish the last three hours that is unfortunate. Yeah. That's, uh, tough. That's tough to go that far. That's an investment. <laughs> uh, do you mostly like uh, sci-fi and stuff? Are you a fantasy fan at all? I go everywhere. I write fiction too. Oh, no um, kidding. Yeah, cool. yeah. I actually have like been trying to delve into uh, crypto-related topics. It's just hard to do it without it being like kind of kitschy, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. At least for me. I write myself. I don't know if I'll ever publish a book, but I love uh, particularly screenwriting. Um, I did film in school, though, like I think in movies. Oftentimes, that's how my writing comes out. I've actually done the same thing. I, I want to hit something like a Bitcoin or like a theme or something, but you don't, you can't really, your, your story can't be about that. You know, like, like it has to be about, like my story has to be about a character, what they are going through. But I found, uh, I've got one fantasy that I'm, particularly in love with at the moment think has a really fun allegory to bitcoin that is just kind of like you know how there's the elements of the story that are just like the monster in the house they're just like a, a challenge or a wild card in the environment that become a part of the story later on kind of how it unfolds per like my uh first version we'll see we'll see i don't, I don't even know if it'll ever be finished but i've got those same thoughts i guess it's just because bitcoin's so damn important i just want to put it at everything <laughs> for me th this is kind of like what goes into your work which is why I, like i appreciate it is that there's so much of it happening right now and it's so new that no one really has a handle on what the knowledge base is quite yet if you were to like turn around and like study a another topic like french literature for example there is a base idea like a canon of like what french literature is mm -hmm. You know, you can study that in universities. Like, you can't do that with Bitcoin because, I mean, in some ways it's too new and, you know, yeah. we don't know where we're going yet. But, like, you know, that's what makes it so interesting, I guess, to uh, you're, you're documenting it. That, that's, that's one of the things that, like, I think it's so exciting right now is because we still are in that discovery phase. And I think we actually are seeing that, but it's just kind of a divergence of separate ideas. And we're yet to see which one comes out on top. Obviously, I think I know, but <laughs> don't we all? But uh, I think we are actually beginning to see kind of a standardization, a, a, an underlying base that is starting to inform the rest of the writing um, and the rest of the kind of study in the space. So, but we are definitely still in the discovery stage of this. And 
that's one of the things that makes it so damn cool is that you'll you'll read two fascinating pieces that are absolutely contradictory to each other they yeah. both have unbelievably good points and really good analogies and you're like which one <laughs> You're saying we're starting to see sort of like a base and like common understanding. What would you say that is um, in the I span of, of crypto? In the span of crypto, basically, there's a divergence between the whole cryptocurrency and the uh, kind of altcoin or blockchain ideology, obviously. Totally. And, and, and then Bitcoin. And I think the key idea around Bitcoin, which this was a little bit surprising to me just in kind of how my views of everything has changed technical aspect of it, I feel like is far less important. The idea of being a smart developer or something is far less relevant to what Bitcoin is as a technology. I see it as more a sociological and like networking technology. And uh, most people don't get that. And that's kind of the foundation that I think the canon that's become a huge part of the Bitcoin space is that most of the really fascinating or I guess you could say cutting edge ideas and writing in this space has that foundation in monetary history and game theory. Whereas I run every single time I have a conversation with somebody who's, you know, BSV or blockchain or anything, even Ethereum most of the time, like I will allude to something about money or the history of money or some economic principle and it will be dismissed in a way that I realize that they don't even know that it's relevant to the discussion. And it's one of those things that when I'm talking to typical hardcore Bitcoiners, it's assumed that we already are on that page. You know what I mean? Uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, and, and I see that a lot. That is almost universally the one thing that the blockchain and the altcoin space, they see it more like web development and let's build websites and apps and all of this stuff. And they completely miss the networking of human beings, the foundation of money as a technology, and the thousands of years of history there that tell us how tools like this really behave within a human environment. And it's just kind of loss on them. And it's something that I don't think they ever dove into. There's something specific about Bitcoin that points people in that direction. And that is part of the Bitcoin rabbit hole that does not appear to be part of the altcoin and blockchain rabbit hole. A lot of the blockchain technology, I guess news that was coming out a lot like um, 2016, 2017. I feel like that is sort of evaporated on its own accord. It's just sort of like, a misunderstanding of what the value proposition of maybe a blockchain even like as a data infrastructure even is. But for a lot of these other projects, other coins, it, to me, it, it does seem like it can be like a boil the ocean tactic. It's so complicated as it is, it has to be at least simpler or singular in what it's trying to do. And that's like hard enough. Is that what you're trying to say? Really, really, just with the news space, you're you're right. It's really just kind of dried up on its own. In, in my estimation, it's a fundamental misunderstanding as to what we're actually getting out of this technology and why blockchain itself, like blockchain by itself, doesn't do anything. It's just kind of like a database that's a lot harder to manage and slower than a normal database. But yeah. just because you hash stuff doesn't mean it's secure. Like that is not where the security of Bitcoin or any of these networks come from. The, the security is a crazy 
interplay of like five different pieces. It's those dynamics, they're, not, they're all incredibly subtle and difficult to understand. None of them, on, even on their own, are really easy to grasp in like a 10 or 15 minute conversation. Uh, they've, they've all got hours of discovery in and of themselves. And people have just tried to shortcut this and say, oh, I put a blockchain on it, therefore it's immutable. It's like that you didn't do anything. Like I can hash stuff on my computer all day and then let you access it on the web, but none of it is secure. Like I can rehash it all over again. Does None of it means anything. There's so many different pieces. And I think that's been, and been a huge, huge misunderstanding that really fueled the altcoin bubble of 2017. Yeah, that was crazy. My take on ICOs is that, you know, it's an interesting fundraising mechanism that should be able to exist, but it was such a deterrent for people in the industry and outside of the industry. You just don't want to give it too much oxygen. Yeah. There's an odd thing about ICOs. Like, like I feel like it just makes more sense to do. Maybe, maybe it's, I don't even know. Maybe it's better than VC funding because you're not having to vet. They have this really closed economy like this this closed like group or club of people that can actually invest yeah to some degree there it's like interesting but the ico itself the coin is completely arbitrary it's got nothing to do with the company like if they create some sort of fiduciary duty with the coin well then okay you've got you know a centralized like record of ownership that is exchangeable as soon as you fall into a fiduciary duty, you fall into the normal regulatory environment and the token actually has value as part of the ownership of your company or your project or your institution. And now it, again, can't do any of the things that Bitcoin has a current, if you can't have it censorship resistant, you can't let it do all of these other things if it's then a fiduciary thing. And if it's not, then it's just trying to compete with Bitcoin as money and it's not going to. I think a good example that we saw was Omni, which I think was MasterCoin beforehand and then mm -hmm. became Omni. Arguably, it was the most successful altcoin that there was. It's got Tether. Tether was born on top of it. But what's the token worth? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. In fact, Tether, I think, has migrated away from it sometime recently. So despite being a quote-unquote project that fueled one of the biggest applications in this space, in the exchange and speculation uh, ecosystem here, it was a total dud. It was, it's, the coin itself was still complete garbage because they didn't need it. Do you need a token? That ho that whole conversation. Yeah, uh, and it's, it's it's not an easy answer, and people are just kind of jump on. I'm going to get a token, and we'll find out later if I need it. And that's kind of what everybody did. <laughs> yeah, dot com boom, sort of. There's also this whole interplay, and like you mentioned, sociology. Just like the fact that I mean, it all has this financial angle to it. So everything here is like not quite rational, you know, and how people make decisions. You know, there's so many other reasons why somebody might do something. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at, in fact, I'm probably, I think today's episode, I've started a couple of different reads in recording, and I don't know which one is going to be today's episode. I think it's going to be the one on Hex, but this is a oh, perfect yeah. example of just total speculation and the obvious reason that it exists is to make Richard millions of dollars and for no other reason. I think that's that underlies a lot of it is people trying to, and I know the feeling because I've been there. I have too. During the altcoin bubble, you stop and you ask, 
you know, I could do a thing and maybe, maybe like you want to excuse the fact that like there could be some reason there and to invest in some altcoin because the, the potential to make money is so hard to turn down when there's a little bit of maybe. And so, but yeah, I could never bring my, I know I wouldn't be able to sleep at night if I did something like that. <laughs> yeah, that whole situation with Hex. Well, so I saw sort of that play out over on Twitter and like, it kind of struck me, I was thinking about it in terms of, of scams and recognition and sort of like self-policing in the industry. I feel like it's gotten better since 2017. What do you think? Oh, it definitely has. I mean, there's still plenty of idiots to scam. And I don't think that'll ever change to yeah. any great degree. Uh, I think the process of maturing past that is multi-decade and inevitably will never be a complete job. And in some degree, it will always be there, but it's so much better than it was. There's good arguments against it. And I think particularly in the Bitcoin community, everybody talks about it like uh, there's an overactive immune system. And I think mm -hmm. right now, overactive is how the immune system should be. Everything is a scam unless you prove you're not, basically. Yeah, yeah. I think we needed that coming out of 2017. It'll probably be tempered in the future, but Hex is probably the, the one really big scam that's hit the ground running in a little chunk of time, and it seems to already be losing steam pretty fast, which is really refreshing. That's a pretty good way to explain this industry to somebody who doesn't understand it, is to sort of point to 2017 and be like, these people went through a very crazy time. Plenty of people lost money. The people who are still involved are very protective of what is real and what is not, what is a good idea, what is a bad idea, and they will go after it. Yeah, yeah. Who are the people... I was going to stick with writers maybe too. Who are the people, the writers in the Bitcoin space you admire? Okay, definitely Aaron Van Verdum, hands down for going to read the technical updates and things that are coming. I absolutely love his stuff and I've been reading him for ages. Uh, Nick Carter always has fascinating things to add the number of pieces about the assurances like like the settlement assurances and the idea of this as a ledger and the security that you get in the ledger and kind of trying to uh, quantify it that stuff mm -hmm. is great uh, hasu i love uh because doesn't seem to have any end game like even though hasu and suzu uh end up being very pro Bitcoin. I think they have a very like, let's just see if Bitcoin turns out to be the one that's let's let's kind of take an idea or a concept and see how it plays out with Bitcoin in it. Like most recently got a lot of flack for the security after the subsidy runs out. Mm -hmm. And but I think it's super critical. And I love that somebody is trying to like really work out the details as to whether or not because it, it is a difference in the security profiles. It is a very different mechanism at play. So I think that's an incredibly important discussion to have so that, you know, maybe it's all fine and dandy, but you know, maybe we do need to prepare. Maybe, maybe there are things that we should consider as, as we get there. This is a very game theoretic and nuanced toy that we have to play with. Uh, uh, Nick Zabo, obviously, uh, that's a no brainer. Uh, I love his blog. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been, and he was so great too. I, I messaged him really, really early on. I was like, you don't mind if I read your stuff on the show? And uh, he was like, don't charge for it, whatever. Read anything and everything I've ever written. So go to town. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> That's pretty sweet.
Tertum Easter, Bitcoin Reformation pieces always got a lot of great like analogies and like historical perspectives. Yeah, I, I listened through it uh, on your podcast. Oh, nice, nice. I, I had it up uh, to read for um, quite a while. And back mm-hmm. to our previous conversation, I, I didn't really get through it. And I, I listened to your podcast and I, I crushed the whole thing in a car ride. Nice. But yeah, there, there are a ton of other writers. Uh, they're Gigi. Nick Batia, uh, Roy Scheinfeld does a lot of great stuff about lightning. I love his lightning concepts. Um, Batia as well on that one. Yeah. Too, too long a list to go through, to be honest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. A few weeks back, you did a Ray Dalio piece. And I was curious about the kind of writers. I mean, he's, he's primarily an investor, not a writer. But the kind of work you like to cover on the show for people who are not at all involved in, in Bitcoin or cryptocurrency at large. Uh, well, I do economics mostly. Um, yeah. As far as the specifically non-Bitcoin stuff, even though I usually apply it to Bitcoin and end up talking about nothing but Bitcoin in the commentary. Um, <laughs> but it's typically economics and like finance stuff. Uh, like I love Mises.org. Their database is extraordinary. Uh, Fee. Uh, I've got permission from them to basically read whatever as well. Cool. Um, Iyer as well. Um, Mm -hmm. Jeffrey Tucker's, even though I disagree with him specifically on the Bitcoin cash versus Bitcoin thing, there, there's really is a big portion of the libertarian community that I think got kind of sucked into the whole B cash thing. Yeah. I've noticed that. I think Jeffrey Tucker will come along. I would really love to have a conversation with him about it actually, and kind of flesh out specifics as to why he thinks the way he does. I think I could convince him, but I, I don't know. But I still have always major respect for Jeffrey Tucker and I've read a lot of what he does for ages. For Mises, like like on Mises.org, I read Mises, Rothbard, Hayek, all the major Austrian economics guys. Side note on Jeffrey Tucker, I didn't know he'd become a Bcash dude, but um, I've talked to him before and he's hilarious. Have you reached out to him? You should talk to him. I think I've like dropped some like Twitter comment at some point, but uh-huh. I have not specifically reached out to him. And I've been thinking about it. It's on my list of I should probably get to this <laughs> at some point. Yeah. But Jeffrey Tucker is he's a ridiculous sweetheart. And yeah, I'd love to chat with him. I'd love to have a two hour go at it about Bitcoin and cryptocurrency. Yeah, no, he's great. Yeah, the the Bitcoin Cash libertarian thing is I like don't want to go down that rabbit hole because like we have limited time to talk, obviously. But no, but no, it, it would be very interesting. Yeah, now that would be my my favorite thing. I would love to talk with like I love to get on uh, Tom Wood's show. I'd love to have a sit down with Jeffrey Tucker and uh, Dave Smith and like those guys and just kind of see what questions they had and thoughts they had and just kind of pick their brain for their perspective on it and see if I could enlighten a little bit maybe. Well, I mean, I appreciate though your sentiment about trying to enlighten them. You know, there's plenty of like other ways Bitcoiners go about communicating with Bcash people. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's usually a, a zero. I love that. Is a zero sum game, you know, <laughs> but it's a very diplomatic way of putting yeah. uh, trolling and trolling. Shit talking, toxic shit talkers, shit posting, (laughs) swatting. (laughs) (laughs) Like back to the Dalio thing. Did you contact him? 
or did you just, how did that work? I, I did not. Um, every once in a while, I'll read one. Uh, and this is all entirely dependent on where it's published. Uh, like if it's like on like a, a website that publishes content, it was on his LinkedIn page. So I did not actually contact him about that one. And I actually said at the beginning of that show, I think that if Ray Dalio ever listens to it and wants me to take it down, I'd gladly do that. But I'm sort of a uh, ask forgiveness rather than permission, which was oh. how I did basically the first 50 episodes of the show. And then, and then I started getting people actually listen to the show. And I was like, oh, shit, I should ask. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So. Uh, it's a it's a cool way to connect uh, with the writers though too, and I I mean I'm sure I'm sure Ray Dalio doesn't care was probably happy for it, but uh, I was curious about uh, once you once you do a piece of writing, what are the responses of the authors after you put re- your recordings out? I, I imagine like you know like someone like Ray Dalio is probably probably not paying too much attention, but like mm-hmm. you know some some of the people actually in the Bitcoin space. Everybody seems really appreciative. Um, yeah. And I think, uh, and that was like part of my goal at the beginning of this is, you know, to do what I wanted. Like I wanted all this stuff in audio so that I could listen to it. Um, and I've gotten to the point where I go back in my stuff and re-listen like a lot now because there's just this old piece that I'd forgotten about. You read so much, it just all gets lost, you know? And so I've been going back and listening to my own show, but the idea was just to get like the best stuff, twice as many readers, three times as many readers if I could pull it off. And like people who would have saved it just like I did in there, oh, I'm going to read this one day and then it gets lost under a thousand other links Mm -hmm. and they never read it. Well, I'm hoping that I'm adding to the number of people that get to consume, you know, Nick Carter's article on peaceful revolution and Turdemeister's Bitcoin Reformation PDF. I mean, that thing was like 13 pages of a PDF. I don't think a lot of people sit down and read it, even though a ton of them may very well have the interest to do so. Yeah, it's been pretty much across. The- I don't think I've ever had anybody who was mad about it. I mean, I always ask, but everybody's just like, yeah, that sounds awesome. Totally. Awesome. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would expect it probably gives them a lot more exposure for their work, which, you know. Yeah, I hope so. That's, that's the goal. Yeah. So you know, of all the all of the Bitcoin pieces that you've recorded and read, could you sort of point to any kind of pattern or maybe like patterns that you've seen emerge when when you find a good piece about Bitcoin? Patterns in what way? Like how they go about explaining it or in the piece of writing? In the piece of writing. Yeah. Okay. So so it could be how they go about explaining it. It could be examples they use, length, you know, I would say, first off, length is actually a big one. Um, 10 to 20 minute articles, I feel like do the best and really hit the idea hard and can like lay out like really good specifics for stuff um, that like kind of hunt down, you know, breaking it up into like three major points and then just kind of like subdividing that into the stories that are related to that point. The, the things that fascinate me most and that I catch when I'm reading are when they explain it kind of from a human and game theory perspective. Is that like how are people participating in this thing? Um, like the, the peaceful revolution, the uh, uh, Protestant reformation, like how does this affect people? And because humans are one of the main ingredients of this technology and I find the people who understand it the most realize and accept that. And that's always like kind of one of those fundamental 
hinges that they um, extend from that this is one of the that Bitcoin is a system that organizes people rather than just a people organizing the system of Bitcoin. I mean, that's kind of what makes it novel is that it's an incentive structure that grabs us rather than the other way around. That makes a lot of sense. That's actually really interesting, though, that, uh, like hearing you actually lay that out clearly. With like having read so many pieces like this, and you have admitted that uh, you do a little bit of screenwriting, have you thought about doing something yourself? Um, well, I do, re- I do write articles on occasion. I'm actually yeah. in the middle of writing one right now. I've just been kind of, I've got so much recording that I haven't gotten through. I'm only halfway through it, probably. Yeah. Um, but uh, the, I've, I've probably written, I don't know, 12 articles over over the past couple of years um, and read at least five of them on the show. I, I do enjoy it. It's just mostly just a time issue more than anything. Um, and I've got, I've always got writing that I'm doing though. Like I'm, I'm writing a Bitcoin book. But oh, really? Who knows, who knows if, if it'll ever get done. I've got probably 70 pages of it. Oh, wow. Nice. And I think it's a little bit different than... Like I'm trying to go with a different style than most of the Bitcoin books out there. Got to. Um, <laughs> and uh, it's the it's the crypto economy survival guide. Um, oh, okay. Uh, it really does. It hits all the major concepts so far. And you know, we'll see what comes of it. Yeah, I do. I definitely do some writing. I just time crunch is really the problem. Uh, where, where could uh, listeners actually find uh, your writing? Um, I think most of it's posted on thecryptoeconomy.com, but you can just find it on Medium. It's almost all of it's posted on my Medium page, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. How long have you been doing this? For It's like two years, right? Uh, yeah, somewhere between a year and a half and two years-ish. 400 episodes is amazing. Yeah, it's a, it's a stack of episodes. <laughs> it's definitely that. <laughs> Dude, it's a lot to read. I've probably got the list of things that I need to read or that I've been planning to maybe read on the show. I think it's about as long as the list of stuff I've covered on the show. Like it's, wow. It's huge. Somebody needs to create a podcast for you. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. Podcast talking about all the pieces that I should maybe cover. <laughs> yeah, yeah. On this episode, I'm gonna talk through a few stories that I'm thinking about covering on my other show. <laughs> that's how I'll just that's how I get my head straight in the morning because that's what I do in the morning. Like I, you know, I get up, I go make breakfast for the wife, and you know, eggs and bacon and all that good stuff. Sit down, eat, start reading, try to get through a couple of reads in the morning of just like stuff that I'm considering and or watching. You know, on yeah. anything that I. Go do that for a couple hours and I could turn that into a podcast. Yeah. So you live in Raleigh. And when we first met at the Bitcoin 2019 conference, I remember you were telling me a little bit about it. You're, you mentioned the meetup too. What's the community like down there in terms of uh, crypto? A pretty big cryptocurrency community. And then there's a really tight and super active Bitcoin community. So the Raleigh Bitcoin meetup in particular, like these guys are crazy, like sucked in. Um, I love hanging out with the Rally Bitcoin crew. Like we are, it is never not fun. There are a lot of meetups in, like we have one on Sunday. There's one every Monday. There's one every Thursday, which is the more general like cryptocurrency one. And that does draw a little bit bigger crowd. But since we've moved the Monday one to uh, Weaver Street Market, which is just like a grocery store with like this upstairs where you can just kind of hang out and they've got like a little bar. Now we're known for having a podcast like we sit up there with like six mics and we sit around a table with like nine of us and we just go to town on the show and every once in a while we'll have a couple of people come in and they just sit and listen i don't really participate like they actually uh this past monday we're, we're such like a, a staple there that like 
like we know the people who do who tend the bar and everything that they let us know that they were having some sort of a holiday party up there uh-huh. and they let us go back into like down this hallway through these like managers offices and stuff into this back room and we all moved tables and chairs in there so that we could still do the podcast <laughs> that's know, awesome like a, uh, holiday party but yeah the, the raleigh bitcoin crew goes hard that's pretty sweet we had a we had a pretty good uh meet up back in the day in, in Nashville. The problem was that it sort of got taken over by sort of uh, enterprise blockchain stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, we just, it kind of just died out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that tends to happen. There's a, uh, there were a couple of uh, cryptocurrency ones that I think there's, there's less of a, uh, what would it be like holders of last resort? There's, there's less of a, a foundation for that whole community. And it's like when it's exciting, everybody's there. When it's not exciting, nobody's there. Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, and I think Bitcoin grabs this base that just is enthralled. It just totally engrossed in it. And you would think like every Monday, two hours, three hours, that we would run out of something to talk about. But we're actually adding a new time. We're doing like a Sunday morning meeting coffee, like Bitcoin coffee now. Wow. And everybody's like, yeah, let's do it again. Let's, do, let's have another day a week. And, and last week, uh, nobody could even come. And it was just me and Wade. And I was like, oh man, we're not gonna, this, this is gonna be terrible. It's just the two of us. And we ended up sitting there for three and a half hours talking about Bitcoin. And it's just like, all right, just, just keep it rolling, man. You don't have to name names. Are there any pieces, Bitcoin pieces, maybe you've recorded it, maybe you haven't, that in retrospect have not aged well? that you know of yeah the, well the bitcoin time traveler uh, yeah it was a really famous reddit post and it was funny because the price predictions were on point until 2018 and 2019 so that one didn't age well because the time traveler is clearly not a time traveler or they came back in time and changed things <laughs> so one or the other but yeah i would say that's definitely one that is no longer perfectly valid I don't know. I would say there's like some topics maybe I've covered on the show or read about that just don't seem that important anymore. But most of it's like kind of frivolous stuff that I kind of knew at the time was going to last a week. And I try to keep most of the show to stuff that I mean, a lot of times I'm reading some like I just read uh, Bitcoin is worse is better. Yeah, I actually just listened to that. Oh, nice. Yeah. Um, And then uh, everyone's a scammer um, by Goldstein. Uh, Like Oftentimes I'm reading something that's already 10 years old, 20 years old, that's just really relevant or like a fascinating idea that's going to enlighten some new aspect of Bitcoin or that can be applied to Bitcoin in a way that I hadn't thought about before, you know. So I typically try to keep to something that I already know is going to be time tested, I guess you could say. Also, too, I feel like that's sort of a part of um, figuring out what is good is like tearing through everything and like, you know, you you find out in hindsight whether or not it it works or makes sense you know yeah understanding where bitcoin came from there were 30 years of people trying to essentially make this thing you know know, crypto anarchy and uh the idea of the internet having its own digital money that was not controlled by an institution or state is actually a really old idea just nobody could figure it out and i think knowing the roots of that and like the ideology that led to it and what those people thought elsewhere about privacy and sovereignty and you know all of that stuff uh, is really critical to understanding why the hell bitcoin exists in the first place what impact it was both intended and will have in the future context is what strikes me is like so important it's context to 
connections outside of the space. Like I think people forget a lot of times that like a lot of the world is interconnected systems, you know? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. Real quick, I was going to ask. So like the whole idea of bringing in like a historical event as a metaphor for what's been going on with Bitcoin or, or Bitcoin as a phenomenon. I, I've seen that a lot and I see it work really well. Bitcoin Reformation is probably the most recent example I can think of. I was just curious, I, I don't know if you're a history buff, but are there any historical events or comparisons you've heard of about Bitcoin that you think are like lesser known or maybe lesser appreciated? There are so many good ones, to yeah. be honest. It's it's. It, when you see those fundamental changes of things, uh, one that I've actually loved, I love the Bitcoin Reformation. That was actually kind of a new one. It's, it kind of goes hand in hand with the printing press, which is kind of that time period's analogy that I would lean on. But the way that Tur put it in that piece was just wonderful. I love that one. Uh, actually, I think it's Tur was the one that also compared it to the discovery of oil. Mm -hmm. um, and I also love, even though I think it's a slightly less accurate, it's got so many great parallels, is electricity. Like the standards war between, you know, AC and DC and all that stuff. I love that book, um, uh, ACDC. ACDC, the first standards war or something like that. It's something like that. I've got it on the uh, Bitcoin Survivors book list, I think. Okay. Um, uh, so you can find it at thecryptoeconomy.com if I got the title wrong. That one's one that fascinates me. Auburn Individual is when I'm reading the, the physical book that I'm reading right now because they pushed the audio book back. It was supposed to be out yesterday and I went and checked immediately because I had it on my calendar and they pushed it back to January 14th. I'm so pissed. One of the introductory things that he goes through in the history is about the agricultural revolution and it's had such a fundamental change with how, how we can actually accumulate capital and actually own property. Like we actually, like the reason like kind of governments and like large economic networks didn't exist prior to that is because we were always on the move. And as hunter gatherers, there wasn't really the ability to, but more specifically, there wasn't a reason to accumulate a lot of wealth or capital because you always have to pick up everything and move somewhere. So you have to be mobile. What your wealth was, was what you could carry on your person. The agricultural revolution changed that, but then at the same time, it completely changed our networks and it completely changed how the payoff for being violent against each other. Now that we had all of this extra wealth, it actually led to things like large scale war, government, and these systems of authority and control in order to attempt to negate this huge vulnerability that we had opened ourselves up to by wanting to control each other's wealth. And I think we're moving back in the opposite. This is like a multi-thousand year transition that we're actually going through where the networks themselves are actually going to be governed by protocols and that institutions like government and authority are actually kind of a bridge to crossing those barriers. And so I find it really interesting that we're going back to a self-sovereignty sort of thing, that we're, that we're now found, finding, finding out ways to have that value on our person again, in a sense, that, that we're able to keep our wealth as definitively ours, that we can pick it up and move it with us. But we do not lose those massive economic networks that make us astonishingly wealthy and allow division of labor for us to specialize in one thing, that I can do Bitcoin, that I could just learn and read about Bitcoin all day, every day. That's insane. That is That's insane when you insane. think about it. I could just do that and get by. And uh, it's just a, 
I'm finding a lot of analogies in that one as well. And I've been just lost in the sovereign individual. Anytime I can sit down and actually pick up that book, I've been, I've been loving it. Like, and as the internet and Bitcoin and these systems, that's one of those things like the, I think the, the best analogy is the internet, but it, the reason I don't, I do use it all the time actually, but the reason I try to like look further back in history is because this kind of is an extension of the internet uh, because of that. Like it's one of those things that it's hard to separate it. And also a lot of people still, I still, I don't think quite understand the internet. The internet is still something yeah. that's widely misunderstood in, in itself. So I'm trying to have to, to explain the internet to, to then explain Bitcoin sometimes. I, I think with the internet, we're still a bit too nearsighted, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a good that's a good way to put it. But I wonder if like looking back on this, I, I don't think we'll see this as the internet age or the Bitcoin age or like the era specifically. I think it will be more and I think these are both the beginnings of a a huge I mean, we are things are changing massively right now. And I think this will more be seen as the era of digital protocols. The I guess the codification of humanity as a networked organism like we are becoming one global economy one global organism that communicates and talks and shares ideas and can regardless of huge social barriers language barriers we can have commerce we can exchange ideas we can exchange products we can make each other's lives better through trade despite maybe hating each other for all the other dumbass reasons we have for hating each other. But we can still cooperate because we have these protocols to lean on when trust breaks down. And I think that's fascinating. And I, I, I genuinely don't think I could have gotten luckier. Like, I think like, this is the most exciting time to be alive ever. And it just, it just kills me that we're seeing the Lego pieces that are going to build a whole new world, in my opinion. So... <laughs> I think that's a good place to end it on. Guy Swan, I, I tweeted you about this. When I listen to podcasts, a lot of times I'm, I'm like running, mm -hmm. do like these like really long runs. And uh, I was like, you know, kind of a scholar. He's kind of the Bitcoin scholar. So uh, <laughs> yeah, I like that. I wait until my head gets a little bit bigger before I start telling people I'm that. Sure. But... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. But yeah, I like that. Well, I guess it's a decentralized network, man. You can you can claim anything at this point. <laughs> I am the Bitcoin scholar. Cypherpunk, Bitcoin scholar, self-learned autodidact. Blockchain expert. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, man. Thanks for talking. Yeah, man. Absolutely appreciate appreciate you having me on the show, man. This is this is a good time. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is a BTC media produced podcast on the Let's Talk Bitcoin network. You can find us on Twitter at Bitcoin Magazine and you can find out about other engaging shows we produce by subscribing to our feed on iTunes, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in. See you next time.